Welcome to Between Data and Risk podcast. Today we'll be talking about change management or how to introduce changes into businesses effectively and with minimum disruption and make them stick. Our guest will be Steve Barrows, CBE, Chief Executive Officer of B2 Barrows. Stay tuned. If you're a business owner or senior manager, you probably had more than enough about all the wonderful opportunities awaiting you in the era of digitalization. Whether it is big data, cloud, data science, or whatever buzzword is currently trendy. If you would like to hear someone dissecting these claims and showing you what it actually takes to improve business processes, you're in the right place. This is Between Data and Risk, where we discuss real life examples of what works and what doesn't in the world of business operations. Hi, I'm Artur Guya, Cognition Shared Solutions Chief Risk and Strategy Officer, and with me is my co-host, your friendly neighborhood data guy, Dr. Marian Siwiak. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to this episode of Between Data and Risk. Uh, today, we'll be talking about navigating change in business, and we're excited to have with us our guest, Stephen Burrows, CBE, change management consultant, co-founder of Stealth Startup, innovation advisor, who agreed to share some of his experiences with us. Hello, Stephen. Hello. Nice to be here. Uh, so maybe let's uh, kind of start with defining what, what we're talking about. Businesses often go through, through, through change. Well, change, change is the only constant, as, as they say, right? And yeah. uh, uh, executives, they, they have to prepare the, the, the organization for, 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 the, uh, for the change. So how, in yeah. your opinion, how uh, can you scope a change such that it's effective for, to, to be managed? It's not too small because you know, it becomes trivial and it's not too big. How, how do you actually scope a change to, so that, such that it's viable? Yeah, I think, um, well, you know, that saying that change is constant is absolutely true. Uh, and the reason that it's true is that every business um, generates revenue and quality of earnings based on its resilience. So what I mean by that is you can take a look at any business, whatever it does, and, and assess its resilience. And the simple way to do that is to ask yourself, what would it take to destroy this business? And it doesn't matter what you're doing, let's say you're you're a professional services firm. It might be that if your four best people were hired away from you by someone else, your business would be in trouble. Or maybe you have a factory and it's if that one machine broke down or the power went out, it would seriously damage our business. And when you look at resilience, change is about improving the quality of your ability to fight the marketplace. So what is it that makes you special? And you have to move towards that thing. And it's called change management, but it's really about business resilience. That's, we, we, we love to hear it because our motto as a company is resilience of operations worth having. Yeah. So we, ju we just couldn't agree more, I think. Uh, uh, well, I, I, I have to kind of uh, say this is, uh, for, for me, it's, a, it's a quite a narrow but a specific definition of change because... Uh, you, you, you talk about the, uh, the improvement in resilience, which is something that's very close to my heart as a risk manager, but yeah. I've, I've seen change which is uh, uh, kind of necessitated by external factors, which doesn't necess necessarily uh, improve resilience as such, but just kind of maintains status quo or uh, kind of prevents worsening of resilience uh, because of... Um, you know, exter external pressures on the company. Uh, a lot of this uh, recently in, 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 you know, pretty much since 2008, change has been a constant in financial services where I come from. And it's yeah. been driven by regulatory changes, which very often has nothing to do with improving resilience of the firm as such. It may improve the resilience of financial markets in general through transparency, you know, various client protection, but for the organization, it's purely an external stimulus to uh, conform, to comply with regulatory pressures. Yeah, and I'm talking about change that really requires, it's, it's, it's a sort of, mm -hmm. you, you can change by dreaming of change, right? So 
I'm talking about change that actually um, takes root and it becomes actually part of your okay. new routine. So, you know, when you talk about regulatory changes, those are externally driven forces that you are you have to respond to because it's a minimum uh, bar for entry into a marketplace. What, what I'm talking about is if you want to improve your business, just like improving yourself, I, I say change changing a company is just like changing yourself. So if you, if you want to do something, let's say let's say lose weight and get fit, right? You decide that you that's a change that you want to make. You can dream about it. Nothing will ever happen. You can talk about it a lot. Nothing will ever happen. And um, in order to actually change, you have to have a reason for doing it. So there has to be a resilience, right? If I get fitter and healthier, then I can be, you know, um, I can do more sport or I can live a longer life or a better quality life. There's a goal. There's, a, there's an objective to the change. And then you say the consequences of not doing this are puts me in this place and the consequences of actually doing this puts me in a different place. So first of all, I have to think about it. Change is premeditated. It doesn't happen by accident. And then I have to want to be determined to actually do those things, to actually make some physical changes. And then I have to believe that when I fail, which everybody does in on all business change, there is a point of failure. There's a natural inclination to get too busy and go back to the way you do, did things before. You have to have the ability to, to rise again and put those failures behind you and embed mm -hmm. something that becomes routine. And that's what I'm talking about in business resilience. It's, um, you know, you have to look at, say, technology mm -hmm. is disrupting the marketplace. And you can I say, okay, I'll wait until such time as everybody else has adopted that technology, and then I will follow. And there are consequences to that. Um, you know, blockbuster <laughs> video is a good example of that. You know, or Kodak camera is a good example of that. Um, but otherwise, you say, hey, I can see something is happening, and I'm going to get ahead of it, and I'm going to make my business a key leader in that new place. That requires change mm -hmm. management, and that's what I do. Uh, I would I, I would like to, 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 to maybe use your metaphor and go back to, to, to Arthur's question because you know we all know it's better to be young, wealthy, and handsome, right? Uh, <laughs> Thank you. And but <laughs> uh, well, it's just the fact state of our data guy. Uh, but you know, as much as I would like to try, you know. I don't know, playing in NBA probably won't be my, uh, any time in my future. So the question is how to distinguish between this, this dream, which can maybe destroy you when you, when you because I like the, the, the saying that every corpse on, on, on Mount Everest was once a very driven individual. Uh, so how how to distinguish between hopeless dream which is endangering business yeah. and this uh yeah glimpse of hope but 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 you can really you know hold to and and uh, and drive to do you have any advice on on on, on distinguishing yeah, I think so. so i i think um so we're, we're talking a little bit about change management is driven by strategic planning and the right. way I go about strategic planning is, is what I call scenario planning. So you have to, first of all, envisage uh, a series of plausible futures. And so a plausible future is not just that I can see, um, let's pick something. I think that in the future, there will be flying cars, right? I, th I, th I think that's probably likely to occur in the future. Now, the question is, do I want to be a manufacturer of flying cars? So um, the future is, is, is mostly unknown, but you can imagine a scenario in which if you were the manufacturer, the world's leading manufacturer of flying cars, you would become uh, maybe not handsome and maybe not younger, 
but probably wealthy. And so the question is, is it plausible for me to become the world's leading manufacturer of flying cars? And, and that's a question that each business has to ask itself. If it's really not plausible, i.e. you don't really have a market position, you don't have um, a rocket scientists as part of your team, you know, you don't really, the, the, there are barriers to entering that marketplace are too great. It is not a scenario that you should have in your strategic plan. And so the plausible futures measure is, is it realistically possible in, in a, a reasonable time frame for me to get to that position? And the hard thing is to say no, because we all tend to dream bigger than reality. And so part of it is you have to say, okay, if it's a plausible future, what are the steps, which I call now, new, and next? So what can I do now to move towards that plausible future? What new things would I have to do to create the potential that that future be, could become real? And then what would be the next step for my business along that path? And, and quite often, you can see the fatal flaws in, in people trying to achieve futures that are really not plausible for that company. I mm -hmm. see that a lot. That, you know, we love to dream and, um, and, and people like to follow those dreams and they like to believe that through osmosis or some sort of you know, imaginary force, uh, I will get from A to B. But we all know that any journey from here to there uh, begins by knowing where there is and believing that it's a reasonable, I can take reasonable steps to move towards that position and in a reasonable time. When you put in Google Maps, you want to go from A to B, you know where B is, and you can say, if I, if I want to be in New York in five hours, my plausible future is I need to get on an airplane. Right? If I think I'm going to drive there in five hours, um, I'm going to be seriously disappointed. I could waste a lot of time and energy and effort, um, but I will not be in New York in five hours' time. So realistic and plausible futures are really the goals to uh, change management that actually sustains and, and creates you know, new business position. This resilience is, is saying, um, sometimes it's called uh, IP or, or, or some you know, secret source. Is like, what do I need to do to make the barrier to my competition so high that I can improve the quality of my earnings? And there are solutions to that for every business. Well, it's. Uh, I think it's pretty reasonable. We we had this uh, exercise multiple times, especially when in the UK there was the new regulation imposed by FCA, which was uh, requiring companies to financial companies to think of plausible but severe scenarios and build their resilience based on that. Uh, I would like to make a step back, maybe. Uh, you, you spoke about about dreamers. I'm I'm really happy to to to, to hear that because it means that cynical people like like consultants are needed. But before we get there, uh, there uh, Arthur mentioned that like executives need to prepare for a change, and I wanted to ask about your uh, opinion because there is a lot of um, I would say talk about democratization and uh, how much in today's world uh the change is i would say executive driven can it be i don't know employee driven bottom up uh like how, how from, from your perspective how how much these initiatives i know that in the software development it's popular but there are you know guilds or or, or some uh, other communities which form and then aim to, to change something so how this bottom up and top down uh, approaches you know, co coexist in change management. Yeah, I think uh, I think all business is a is a team sport, and and we all know. I think if you if you take an analogy of you know, let's say a football team for example, um, everybody has to buy into the philosophy of what you're trying to do in order to to achieve something great. So you know, in the early days, when I, when I was a a young project manager. Um, I remember my boss got me a, a, a coach to try and help me to change. 
Um, and my coach said to me, there, there are two types of leaders. There's the um, general Custer and the general pattern type leaders. And the general Custer is uh, the good looking guy with the long blonde hair on the white horse that charges ahead and says, everybody follow me. And um, and generally, it doesn't end well for those leaders because they're out <laughs> in front and uh, they're, 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 the, the enemy is going to see them first and they're, therefore they're at pretty high risk of, of uh, not lasting very long. And he said, and then there's the general pattern lead, leader, which is really trying to look at the team that I have and say, what is the best role for everybody? What is the highest and best use of everybody that I have? And how can I make them work together in a way that's synergistic, that they add value to each other. Um, and I think that's the way to make change. You know, I tried to change from that general Custer type leader to the more the general pattern type leader uh, by saying that I have to get people to, to, first of all, buy into this plausible future and want to get there, to have some motivation to get to that place. They see some benefit for themselves and some benefit for the company. And then to be also have the skills to be able to do that. And I have to look at the team and say, where does it need strengthening? Um, you know, where, where is it really weak? And maybe is, you know, those people are not going to come on that journey with us. They don't want to. They're going to fight against it. I have to make changes. To the, you know, if you want to uh, change the people, uh, change the people uh, is, you know, it's a necessary um, requirement. Uh, you have to get people that buy into what you're trying to do and then to be able to deliver the best of themselves. So um, it's not a it's not a one person decides, everybody follows. It's a team sport and you have to use your team to the it's not I often say in a football team, if you change simply change them a, a, a Super Bowl winning football team by swapping the wide receiver and the quarterback, the team would fail. And so everybody has to be in their right position, do what they do well. And then the team performs at its best. Uh, and this is this is, I think, a great topic because it 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 does kind of underline that change management is is only partially about managing the the, the moving parts in the change, and it, it, it's it, the, the, a big part of it is actually bringing the people along. But uh, you know, in our in our practice, we've we've gone through uh, various companies and various changes with 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 various clients, and. Sometimes you get a team which is res responsive to the change. They kind of, there's always a bit resistance because people like to, to, to there, there's, there's inertia. It's almost a, the same as the physical force. But sometimes people kind of go along and they, 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 uh, they're responsive. Sometimes they're just, you know, you can't move them with a big crowbar. Yeah. So in, in, in your, in your experience, uh, is it is it the leader's res uh, responsibility to bring the people along? Is this something that re depends on the change, kind of, and has to has to come from uh, you know, aligning the change? Or what what conditions are sufficient and necessary for people to actually be on board? Yeah, I mean, there's a sort of standing joke that, that if you get a group of people in a room and you say, "Who wants change?" Everybody, put your hand up. If you want change, everybody will put their hand up. And if you ask the same group of people uh, who wants to change, no, nobody will put their <laughs> hand up. Um, and, and that is, it, you know, it, it's not exactly true, but it's, but it's broadly true. So, so people have to, have to believe in it. You know, we are, people are generally a little selfish. They're a little egocentric. And so they have to see something for themselves in the change. So, so when I run change management workshops, um, I do this uh, fist or five voting system. I don't know if you've ever used it, but it is, it's a sort of a quality system. So I, you know, I would say um, we, we want to go from A to B and I'll define where B is. You know, this is a scenario. And I, I say, who, who in the room would be happy uh, if, we got to point B. And the way I want you to score happiness is, if you would think that would be the great, the best thing we could possibly do, you give it five. If you think it, you know, it would be a reasonable place to get to, um, I, I, would, I would give it maybe three. 
If I'm completely against this, I give it zero fist. I'm completely against it. And I try to get everybody to, to assess their feelings in, in just with their hand to give some sort of quality to the system. And then anybody who's a five and, and a fist, I ask them to leave the room and talk to each other. Like explain why they're completely for it or they're completely against it. And the goal of that is to try and understand the perspective, not just to get people to agree that it should happen, but to really try and understand. Then we'll come back and we'll try again. And we're trying to find, try to assess whether, you know, the majority of people are really for it. There's really not that strength of feeling that exists in the room. Maybe there are some considerations some fists that should be listened to more because in these rooms, uh, there's, a, there's, there's often a loud voice that dominates the room and people can't express their feelings. And so I'm trying to give it some sort of data-driven vibe of feeling um, that allows us to, to move the team along, right? Not trying to get everybody to be 100% happy or 100% sad. We're really trying to sort of move the needle uh, towards, is this a direction of travel that we broadly believe is the right thing to do? And, and what you find is some of those people who, who put up their fists, it's, it's not because of a business reason. It's because of how they see it might impact them. And, um, and so they want to understand it from, through their own eyes. They, 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 you know, the ownership of the company, which could be you know, a family whole business or a public company, whatever it might be, um, they're, 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 those stockholders uh, have a particular motivation. But the people who are making the change happen have a different motivation. And you have to get everybody to get be broadly aligned. I mean, there will always be people, you know, if you're rowing a boat in a race and somebody is drilling a hole in the bottom of the boat, they're probably best not being in your boat. And, and they were, they're not going to travel from A to B um, in this change management process. The sooner they leave, the better. But everybody who does agree to row the boat should understand why they're doing it and want to do it. Uh, otherwise, it won't go so fast. We, in our experience, we, we noticed that when we work with the, uh, with, with the crews which, of these boats, there are three factors that we need to, to ensure that we communicate if we want the change to, to happen. One is benefits, and uh, this, is, this is critical, but also we notice that it's often not sufficient. We, we focus on explaining them how the environment will look like after, and we try to explain to them that they will be secure. Like you know, We, we try to, to ensure that they feel secure with the change. So it's not only about the, the, the benefits. I, I remember once uh, a very important director of very, 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 very big corporation coming and uh, saying people who, he, he laid off a couple hundred people saying, you should be grateful because thanks to your sacrifice, the company will, will survive. <laughs> uh, I think I spoke about it in one of the episodes. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I think it's pretty, pretty important that, that you explain uh, and, and give this clarity. In, 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 our, in our work also, we, we focus very much on exp explaining uh, explicitly how the proce new processes will look like. This is what we do. We, we deal with processes. Uh, so that's, uh, that's our take. This, this security and... Uh, psychological safety. Yeah? Psychological safety, yes. Uh, but okay, I, 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 uh, I digress. Uh, I had a question, and I was speaking for so long that I forgot about. It. Uh, oh yeah, do you, do you have do you have like I don't know good tools for communication? Because let's I guess you you also led the changes of I don't know big companies with thousands of people yeah. uh, involved. I guess uh, going and talking to to each other is maybe not uh, possible to just convince everyone. Yeah. Uh, how would you propose? Uh, or what do you do to lead a change in a really big, uh, big firm in a big, big, big company where there is more people yeah. than, you, than there is a, you have ability to influence, you know, face to face directly? Yeah, I, th I think um, one of the. Let me talk a little bit about the barriers to to this. Is that um, 
companies have a hierarchy, right? So they're, they're like the military. You know, if you draw a company organizational chart, it looks like some sort of pyramid. Somebody's at the top and somebody's at the bottom. Um, but, but companies don't function like that. Uh, companies have what I call uh, VIVs. So a VIV is a very important voice. And those are people that people listen to. So generally, people get their clues as to whether the strategic plan is good or bad from the people that they trust. And organizational hierarchy is not a measure of, of, of the score of the depth of trust. trust. And, and so what I, I always begin by trying to identify in, in the company who are the very important voices, who, who are the people that people look to and trust. And, and I will get those people involved in the strategic plan. And it's, so it's not just a hierarchy. Um, you know, the, the, um, many, many firms are, will say they've, they've burnt through five CEOs, the board has changed multiple times. Um, all of the staff don't necessarily trust the board. They think that they're doing it purely for the reasons that motivate them, which may be financial. And that is not, they're not the reasons that motivate the people to actually want to do this uh, change process. So I get them the very important voices together. And I actually always begin by spending one hour uh, on a telephone call or in person with every single one of those very important voices. And I ask them, what's wrong with the company? In your opinion. How do you identify? And, and, and I'm, I'm guessing those very important voices are also not the loudest voices, right? Not at all. They're the people that, that when the strategic plan is announced, somebody says, what do you think? And, uh, and they tell them in the, in the break room or somewhere, um, you know, I think this is just motivated by profit or it's mm -hmm. just motivated, but they want to close us down. The people who say that, that, that will become, you, you know, uh, bad news travels about 20 times faster than good news. Light. So Light. Um, uh, they'll look for something that's wrong and then they'll, they'll, they'll believe that, you know, this fake news mantra, you know, has some roots in reality. Um, people that will become the, the new law and um, of, of the, the, the subculture uh, that goes alongside the strategic plan. So it's really important to address that head on at the beginning and to get those very important voices to be heard because they're, they're trusted for a reason and then to listen to them, but to get them to see something of them that, uh, that they created in the strategic plan. And then you will get much more trust in delivering whatever change you're trying to deliver through the organization, because they'll say, yes, I was there. I understand why we're doing this and I believe in it. And it's got much more chance. There's no guarantees, right? And not every leader knows who are the very important voices in the firm. But, it, but if you ask around a little, it, it soon becomes obvious um, who are the people that people look to, to say, is this a good thing or a bad thing? And uh, so they've got a, to be involved. So, so, so you've got to get your ear to the ground, so to speak, and, yeah. and, 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 and don't do it from the ivory tower. Which... Yeah, that trust, that trust is, is not something it, it, it's earned. And people value trust very, very highly. And everybody who, who is trusted understands that it's very easy to lose that trust. And so they mm -hmm. care for it and they nurture it. So it exists. You've just got to find it. And, um, and when you do and you involve those people, it's a much better process than if you try and send something down from the ivory tower and expect everybody's going to just applaud it as a piece of genius thinking um, because they won't. So speaking of ivory towers, I think this brings us very nicely to the topic of consultants who <laughs> uh, swoop in from, from outside and uh, bring in these nuggets of wisdom and, and experience. And uh, I expect everyone to listen. And, you know, we've been in this, in this situation. We, we, we got the stink eye uh, from, from, from various people saying, who are you? You don't know anything about our company. Uh, and you've come here to uh, 
kind of tell us how to manage change. So first, firstly, let, let's ask, you know, why, why do executives bring in consultants and do they, do they need consultants to manage change? Uh, we often, uh, I, have, I have to admit, we, as, a, as a company, we've gone through a bit of flux. We, we kind of first believe that ch- we can only support change because change needs to be managed internally within a, within a firm. We can support it, but we can never manage it. Then we, we kind of changed our view a bit and said, you know what, we actually can manage change if requested because we, we, just, need, we just need support from the executive. So kind of the tables have turned a bit. What's your opinion on, on, on this kind of who, who needs to drive it, who needs to pull it? Yeah, and well, first of all, you have to, you know, I said that everybody has to do this for for a reason. So, you know, my reason is um, I enjoy uh, creating change, you know, positive change inside organizations. Um, I decided that um, when I became a consultant, uh, I, I, you know, I knew the old adage that, you know, a consultant uh, takes your watch from you and tells you what time it is. And, um, and, and I didn't. I didn't want to be that person. Uh, I actually wanted to be an agent of change. So um, I, I worked with a consulting firm where many of the consultants had twenty or thirty clients, and they so they could only do you know one hour a week with each of those clients. And and I did not want to be that person because I, I felt that was. Um, you could touch a lot of different people, but but it was very shallow. Uh, I wanted to develop mm-hmm. a deep relationship with my clients, so I decided that I could only work with, you know, four or maybe five people at a time, which meant about a day a week, and and that's worked well for me. So I basically embed myself in the organization as part of the team, and I like to stay through the entire process of change. And that means as the agent of change, my job is to make sure that it happens. And the reason I think that's important is um, I I always ask people, you know, I I meet a lot of people. I talk to a lot of friends. um, I've got 25,000 people or something that follow me on LinkedIn. Um, So I I talk to people a lot. I always ask them, uh, how's it going? And the answer I get 99% of the time is, I'm really busy, or we're really busy. And, and I find myself going, why do people do that? They value their quality of what they do by how, how little available time they have. And so asking somebody who's really busy to then create a change management process is just a recipe for failure. So I take the view that everybody's really busy. I should help them to look at what is the highest and best use of their time and to create some space in their working life to focus on change. But that's going to take a little time. And I've got to be embedded in the organization to actually show that I'm going to commit my time to making that change actually happen. And so keeping that change management process alive keep the strategic plan alive. That's where change really happens. I think being a consultant that says, you know, I know what you should do. I'm going to tell you what to do and and leave you to it. Look back in a year and hope that you followed my advice. That's just (laughs) not going to produce anything tangible, I I believe. Uh, And so, you know, there's consultants and consultants. um, And I'm, I'm a consultant who embeds myself in an organization. So I've taken on fractional roles, you know, fractional leadership roles. Um, but, but, you know, I have a company email account. Um, I'm involved in the company meetings. I, t- you know, I talk to the staff. I go around the offices. Um, I act like an employee through the change management process. I must say that it reminds me of our, uh, let's say, beginnings as a company because we started as a data science company, sort of consultants. And we we started with creating uh, models from data solutions and giving them to the client, and, and we realized that they just collect the dust on, on some shelf yeah. somewhere in the back. And so we came into this change management out of the necessity and understanding that you cannot just give. It's also not true that if you give somebody the fishing pole, he'll be fed for, for the rest of his life. 
you need to spend some time teaching him how to you know cook the the yeah. worm or whatever it is that you do when fishing but so, yeah I, I i i just can can agree yeah uh but how how do you how do you measure change okay you you are there and you see you're with them for for for, for the time when when they are changing when is the time you say okay that's good thank you we made it yeah so key performance indicators are 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 pretty key because just just like anything you know any like this, this journey from here to there is is you know along the way there are things that you have to do so you know the analogy is always change management is going on a journey so when you go on a journey you know if you're going to go in an electric vehicle you're going to have to figure out where the charging stations are and you've got to figure out you know how much power have i got to get from here to there so those those kpis are really important so i start with the goal what are what are the metrics that we're going to uh, have when we reach the destination and what are the indicators along the way that show us that we're moving towards those metrics and i do subscribe to the notion that if you can't measure it you can't manage it and um, people quite often want to use very qualitative measures to see if if you're moving in a certain direction and um and i think they're fine but there has to be quantitative data that supports it um because otherwise you are you know um, a dream is 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 very sort of qualitative right you can have these wonderful dreams they don't actually achieve anything unless you measure an outcome uh, as a consequence of that so whether those are financial uh, or or headcount or geographic reach or service services or you know there's a bunch bunch of KPIs they're not just about money um but there have to be some metrics uh, that you're constantly checking in on to see if you're going in the right direction so you know one in in recent years one of those metrics has been uh, tenure of staff like are people um you know staff turnover rates have been very high in companies and and it's been one of the most expensive processes to manage inside a company so how do we increase tenure how do we get people to stay here longer to not you know to 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 increase the amount of time that they spend with us um and so it's not just a financial metric yes there are consequences of people leaving but um let's try and you know get do what we say let's make this um a place that people want to work at um you know best in class workplace and so you're measuring the amount of time that on average that people are employed by you um you know that that might be a metric which is completely different to you know profitability or revenue or 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 you know other just money type metrics um that based around people we we have metrics for almost all the processes that we that we that we yeah uh that we employ we rely very much on APQC uh, process framework and, and and they provide a lot of metrics. We have some of ours. We really, I'm a data guy. I, I need to believe in data. <laughs> but, but the, the, the sometimes of, too much. The metrics have to be meaningful. So, you know, I, I give you an example. Professional services firms, every professional services firm measures utilization, which is what percentage of the available hours is spent billed to customers and i argue mm-hmm. that's not a very good usable metric because it relies upon people at the end of the week they what they put on their timesheets it doesn't mean you're making a profit it doesn't mean you're doing good work if you measure net labor multiplier which is of that billable time how much revenue is generated or how much cash is received it's a much better metric because the customer will only pay you if they think the time was useful and the more mm-hmm. revenue you generate for less hours shows how efficient you are so there's a quality to measuring net labor multiplier there is no quality to measuring utilization but every professional services firm measures utilization i think i think it's a useless metric 
Yeah, ab- absolutely. And it's the it's the, the the kind of the the all that you get what you measure, right? If you if you if yeah. you measure utilization, you will get very busy people doing, you know, shoddy work. If you if you measure the quality, then you will get. But I wanted to kind of uh, ask you about uh, the other facet because we've we've talked about metrics and uh, and data, and I'm I'm the risk side of the equation, yeah. and. Uh, you know, with any change comes comes risk, and I I see that it comes in two in two um, different flavors, so to speak. One is the change that's uh, that comes to the sorry the risk that comes to the company from actually having a change, and one is the change in uh, the risk inherent in the change process itself, the fact that it may go off track, fail uh, completely. So. Uh, the, do you do you see uh, risk management in change management as something that uh, requires specific handling and uh, requires kind of uh, because I've, I've I've seen people who do it very explicitly and I, I personally like to do it very explicitly. Some people think it's part of change management uh, per se. You know, it's 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 just another facet of doing doing uh, change management. What's what's your opinion on this? Yeah, in my view, it's it's absolutely vital. So it's a bit like anything else. You're, you're going to make an investment in yourself. The change management process is investing in, in your own business. And and we all know with our own investments, um, we only invest what we can afford to lose. So you, first of all, you have to understand what are you prepared to commit to this? And, and you're going to measure the KPIs along the way and you know this this mantra of if you're going to fail fail fast is the way in which you you know you reduce the impact of uh, change cost of change that is not producing a useful outcome. So you've got this this constant sort of anchor that is saying I've got to make sure that this change is having a positive outcome on the company. Now it's not a straight line. So there are going to be moments, just like the weight loss program or the getting fit program, there are going to be moments where there's a relapse, something goes wrong, and uh, and and you can't see say that every point of failure is the end. Uh, you have to see it for what it is. But but this man- managing risk is is super important uh, because the we business is a dynamic environment. So when you do strategic planning. That's a that's a very static thing. It was it was true at the moment you did it based on the data you had. It's not true the next day, and so you've constantly got to reassess: Are the core assumptions that went into this change management program still valid? And those things can change. Right, we're in a period of innovation where, you know, take the blockbuster video example. You know, there was a point at which they had to say to themselves, if we continue like this, we will go out of business, right? And and they chose not to take the correct path. And you've constantly got to look at what you're doing against the, the ever-changing business environment, this dynamic business environment, and ensure that you revalidate the assumptions. And so the way I do that, I, I tend to think that um, most strategic plans are three or five years long. And you need an annual review of the core assumptions of the plan to make sure that those things are still valid. And if they're not, be prepared to change direction. So the, the ways to get from A to B are multiple. And if you're on the wrong path and you realize that this is really just going to lead you into a dark forest and perhaps is not what you thought was the right thing to do, change direction. And um, so you've got to be nimble, uh, you've got to be aware, you've got to revalidate your assumptions along the way. Um, But provided you make good scenario plans at the beginning, I I have not yet come across a strategic plan that I've helped create that hasn't remained valid over its five-year period. And so, um, but you've got to keep checking on it. I'm sure one will happen, but it hasn't happened yet. Uh, so yeah, I, th- I think uh, this is uh, you know we've 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 touched on the on on, on the importance of the leader. We've touched the, on the importance of the of the team and bringing people along. 
yeah. and we've touched on the on the importance of uh, managing the change itself and the risk management, the data, the metrics. I think this 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 gives us, uh, uh, you know, I th- all the important pieces. Do you think there's apart from from these these uh, facets of change management that we've we've mentioned, there's anything else that needs to be highlighted uh, to complete the the, the 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 picture? Yeah, I do think that um, if you look at we talked a little bit about the importance of the leader, but one of the things we didn't talk about was um, what is the leader's role in change management? Because we said I said. You know, the leader doesn't decide and everybody follows, but the leader is is absolutely key. Most business leaders are really focused on delivering quarterly results. They they have a very, uh, uh, they're, they're, maybe even their own bonus structures, their own personal KPIs are very short-term driven. And it's often a, um, a, a criticism of public companies that, that they only deliver. Oh, yeah. Uh, quarterly results, and somebody once said to me, you know, if a if a public company uh, cured cancer, uh, the following year the stockholders would say, well, what disease have you cured this year? You know, it would never be enough. And um, there's always got to be a sort of uh, a cure for cancer every single year once you've done it once. And and so leaders are be, tend to become inwardly focused. They're they're focused on maintaining the status quo. Uh, and delivering results on a short-term basis. So it really takes a very bold leader to say, I am going to create a strategic plan to put this business into the place that it really needs to be three or five years from now. Um, It really takes an enlightened person. And they don't, um, you know, they're not common. The, the, The most um, leaders who get to CEO positions have got there by being good managers. They've been, you know, very operationally strong. They're very good at delivering results. They run a tight ship. Um, they're not chosen because they're they're futurists. They're looking at what's coming next. Um, and and this sort of balance between the entrepreneurial CEO uh, and the operational CEO is a sort of personal tug of war. So it really does take somebody to say, I'm going to look past the quarterly results and say, this is working great right now, but will it hold true in a few years' time? I'm, I'm going to take a look at that. And uh, that's where it begins. And, and those people, you know, those are my clients, right? The people who do that, um, that's when the phone rings. Both, both of them. Yeah, yeah. You've got to have that sort of... <laughs> But you've got to have both of the, the you've got to have the sort of mo- motivation to want to uh, make things better than they are today and believe mm. that that could be different than it is today. And it's and it's a tough o- thing to do. Almost sounds like you, the, 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 a good recipe for for this would be to have a f- futuristic dreamer, forward looking CEO and a really down to earth operational COO. Who will make things happen for the CEO? For the CEO, but that's right? there was there was already here the comparison to the army. Like when you have a ship, you have a captain, yeah, who says what needs to happen, and when you have XO, first officer, uh, who makes ma- makes sure that things are happening. The captain does not deal with with everyday problems. He just needs to know where the ship needs to be and what it does need to you know do. And so it needs I good, think it's it needs good advice. I would say that that most companies, you know, don't uh, invest enough money in research and development. Uh, most companies don't invest enough money in innovation, and and so you can create quite economically uh, an an innovation team within your company, whose job it is is to give you advice about what might the future look like, uh, what might be. The opportunities that face us and that, that we'll be facing in five years' time, and um, you'll have people inside the organisation who would be delighted to be part of something like that. And um, invest in those things, get good advice. <clears throat> Not everything comes from, you know, what you read on the internet. It comes from people who know the business, know the competition. They've left and and they've joined somebody else, and they've come back to you. 
Uh, and you, you need to take the time to say, you know, what should we, we be watching out for? What might the future mm-hmm. look like? There's, there's plenty of good advice out there if you're just open to listening to it. We and had we, we an had episode. Uh, episode. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> About innovation we labs. With, with, with Richard Turin. So innovation labs is, is exactly, we're, we're very fond of, of innovation yeah. labs and the whole concept. Uh, I think that kind of brings us to a to a nice uh, conclusion because uh, I think we've we've uh, given uh, our listeners quite a lot to a, a lot of pointers of what change management is built of and how it 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 needs to be directed. Uh, if people wanted to learn more about your ideas and 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 contact you, uh, what uh, what is the best the best way to to reach out to you? Um, well, I'm pretty easy to find. So LinkedIn is the easiest way to find me. You know, Steve Burroughs, CBE. I'm a commander of the British Empire. I'm very proud of it. Um, so you can easily find me on LinkedIn. I publish posts on a regular basis. Um, my, you know, I'm, I'm perfectly happy for you to also publish my email address and cell phone number um on the uh, on the website <laughs> so that people can I, I, me. I don't think we'll go that far but uh yes your your uh, we will we will provide links to to your uh, linkedin profile and uh to your your companies on on the description to the episode um marian you you look like you're eager to add something no 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 no, no i'm not <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just i'm just impressed that's just my impressed face <laughs> You can uh, you can rarely you can rarely see it so so remember take a screenshot yes, I don't know. It, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Steve, thank you very much for for You're sharing welcome. your your experience. It was it was a, a very exciting episode, very good one. I think uh, there are lots of uh, great pointers, and uh, uh, as usual, uh, let's hope it was of use to someone. Thank you for listening. You can find more about Steve's company, B2Barrows, at stephenbarrowscbe.weeksite.com slash b2barrows. As usual, all links to the references will be available in the notes to this episode. Also, don't miss the next one, where we'll be talking about private equity investments in the lower middle and middle market businesses. Our guest will be Joe McIsaac, operating partner at Woodlake Group, a private investment firm with a focus on on this specific sector. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform or visit bda.show to find out more about future episodes and guests. You can also check out Cognition.llc for more information on Cognition Threat Solutions, our services and other events hosted by us. For now, it's thank you from myself, Artur Guja, and my co-host, your friendly neighborhood data guy, Dr. Marian Siwiak. Thank you and goodbye.